I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Five Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. Hey guys, as we get into this chapter, just want you to know there are a lot of scientific things that I reference, a lot of people in the footnotes, in the book, and in the podcast footnotes. I'm listing all of that. The YouTube videos that I talk about, you can find them all. So go check this stuff out. See for yourself. With that, let's read chapter 9. Wait, what are you talking about? Nuria and I had spent the past few minutes getting her caught up on the events of the past day, but now she was asking me questions. What are you talking about? She's invented a new way to harness geothermal energy. No, she hasn't. Did she tell you that? Hold on, I said. She hasn't invented anything? What do you guys do up here? I was thoroughly confused. No, the Mossad agent, Aaron, filled me in on what you guys have been developing. He said that Jessica had found a way to locate vertical cracks in the Earth's crust and mantle. That's right, Nuria interrupted. And that she's found a way to access the Earth's natural heat through those cracks, and that it could be turned into a natural energy source by accessing the Earth's core somehow. Right? I finished. Nuria just sat there confused. No, not at all. Do you even know what we do here? Do you know about the Genesis Project or the Genesis Machine? Clean energy? I tried one last time, grasping at details and hoping my friend had been working on such a noble task. No, it's just not possible here. Besides, we're a research organization, not an energy development company, Nuria said. Then what is the Genesis Project and the Genesis, Genesis Machine, if it's not some sort of energy production tool? I asked. Nuria just looked at me, unsure of how to proceed. I could see her debating whether to tell me anything at all, and so in an attempt to interrupt her train of thought, I said, and to answer your question, no. If it isn't already completely obvious, I have no idea what you do here, what you're working on, anything. Can you help? 
I didn't want to say it out loud and in any way influence Nuria, but Jessica would never tell me anything. She always cited the non-disclosure agreements she had signed, and so I never really pressured her about it. Nuria seemed willing to help, and I didn't want to remind her that she had also signed those same non-disclosure agreements, if in fact she had. Please, Nuria, I'm just trying to help rescue Jessica, I pleaded. After a few more seconds of deliberation, Nuria asked, Have you and Dr. Adams ever talked about the first book of the Bible? book of Genesis, specifically the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Not really. I mean, we do Bible studies together and we've referenced different verses located in Genesis and some of the stories, but she never really specifically talked to me about the first 11 chapters. What does the Bible, uh, Genesis, and those first 11 chapters have to do with your scientific research? Has Dr. Adams mentioned any of her colleagues, histogeologists or other scientists in her same field or similar fields of study? Has she ever talked about Dr. Walter Brown, Robert Carter, Ph.D., Nathaniel T. Jensen, Ph.D., Andrew Snelling, Ph.D., or even shown you some of the documentaries from people like Dr. Del Tackett or Ken Ham? Nuria continued peppering me with questions. I was shaking my head the whole time, answering, no. I've never heard of any of those people. What do they have to do with anything? I'm going to explain it all to you. I'm just trying to see where I need to start. Dr. Adams really never shared anything with you about her work, did she? No. She only asked that I be patient with her and that at some point she would share everything with me. She promised it would be special and that I would understand all the hard work, time, and personal sacrifices she had to make. So I guess that I really don't know anything about anything she was working on. No problem, Nuria said with a gentle, caring smile, then added, here, look. Sitting on the table in the small conference room was a wireless keyboard and mouse. She wiggled the mouse, and a large flat-screen TV that was hanging on the wall sprung to life. The flat-screen was the monitor to a hidden computer somewhere out of sight. Nuria opened a web browser, typed something in Hebrew into the search engine, and a few moments later she had a website, the Hebrew version of YouTube possibly, pulled up. Again she typed something into the website search function this time, and a list of video clip choices appeared vertically down the screen. Nuria said, I'm looking for a certain video from a scientist explaining something. I really should bookmark the video when I find it. Anyhow, this is the guy that kind of started it all. His research gave us the idea for the Genesis Project and the Genesis Machine. He'll be able to explain his theory in a much easier and more concise way than I can. His name is Dr. Walter Brown. Do you know who he is? I shook my head. Uh, should I? No. I don't guess there's any reason you should, but I didn't know if Dr. Adams had ever mentioned him to you. I'm sorry. I was just thinking out loud, she continued. Dr. Walt Brown is brilliant. He's a graduate of West Point Military Academy and received a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You know, MIT? Yes, Nuria. Finally, a question I know the answer to. I know what MIT is. Smiling, she said, 
Okay, I was just making sure. Anyway, Dr. Brown was a National Science Foundation fellow at MIT. Over the course of his career, he has done it all. He was an Army Ranger and a paratrooper, and he also retired from the Air Force as a full colonel. He has taught college courses in physics, mathematics, computer science, and he's the one who developed a new thought in the history of plate tectonics called the hydroplate theory. If you couldn't tell, he's kind of a hero around here. Forgive me, I said, but I don't remember what plate tectonics is. I, I know I've heard that term before, but uh, can you refresh me? Oh, sure. Plate tectonics is pretty simple. Plate tectonics is the theory that Earth's outer shell is divided into several plates that glide over the mantle. The mantle is the inner layer above the core. The theory is all but 100% accepted as true within all fields of science, not just geology. I nodded in understanding. Ah, I remember now. The different continents are on different plates, and they rub against each other and cause earthquakes, right? Neria smiled and nodded. That's right. Well, that's part of it anyway. As a way to justify myself, I felt the need to explain what I remembered. It seemed like all the continents were connected in one big landmass at some point in history, and over the millions of years since the Earth was formed, the plates and continents have shifted. They rub up against each other, sometimes causing earthquakes, sometimes pushing mountains up higher and higher. Am I closer now? Nerio was giggling. Yes, Mr. Davenport, outstanding. Except for one detail, you were right near perfect. I'll get to that in a few minutes. Okay, what about that Dr. Brown guy? Is he still alive? Does he work here too? Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't work here, but he is still alive, Nerio said. I don't think he even knows about us, but I know that during the first portion of Dr. Adams' speech last night, she was planning to acknowledge how helpful his theories have been and give him credit for setting her on the path of discovery. In a nutshell, Dr. Brown developed a theory that rejects the generally accepted viewpoint of the scientific community in regard to plate tectonics. He studied the earth, the mantle, and core materials, and then hypothesized about the earth's geological development. While he accepts the theory of plate tectonics, he rejects one part of the conventional interpretation of it. Dr. Brown asks a simple question. What if it didn't take millions of years for the continents to separate? He then decided to see if it was possible that something else, something other than millions of years, could cause the continental separation. If there was another cause, what was it and how long would it take? His findings, discoveries, and resulting theory is a brand new approach to geology, completely different and almost universally rejected, but it fills in most of the gaping holes that are created by the current prevailing theories. Dr. Adams, with Dr. Kaplan's encouragement, decided to start from the assumption that his theory was true and worked to prove it. Most of the scientific community decided to start from the assumption that his theory was false and worked to discredit it. Because they haven't been able to disprove it in the scientific community, their only weapon is to try and discredit him or his work. Okay, uh, enough of my gabbing. Here, watch. With that, Nuria pressed the big white triangle in the middle of the video player and the movie sprang to life.
She then clicked a little square icon in the corner of the frame and the movie filled the whole of the flat screen hanging on the wall. This video is from the early 90s, so forgive me. The info is good enough, though, so pay attention, Nuria said, treating me a little like I was in middle school. The video began with a short introduction to Dr. Brown and his accomplishments, which included heading one of the Department of Defense's major research and development laboratories before moving to an interview with the man himself. This guy really has done it all. In the video, Dr. Brown looked to be around 45 to 50 years old. His hair was jet black and cut short. He stood in what looked like a home library, surrounded by books. The graphics unfolded in a very 80s way, giving his name and the title Professor Emeritus Physics. He began by saying, We can see on our planet 25 major features that can now be systematically explained as a consequence of cataclysmic global flood, whose waters erupted from subterranean chambers with an energy release exceeding the explosion of 30 trillion hydrogen bombs. The screen changed and showed a graphic of exactly what 30 trillion looked like, with 14 zeros scrolling after a three until it hit the 30 trillion mark. 30 trillion hydrogen bombs. I looked at Nuria questioningly, and she just nodded. She paused the video and said, It's a little shocking at first, isn't it? Global flood with erupting waters? Give him a minute and he'll explain more. She clicked the mouse and the video began again. This explanation, a cataclysmic global flood, shows us just how rapidly major mountains formed. It explains the coal and oil deposits and rapid continental drift. It explains why on the ocean floor there are huge trenches and hundreds of canyons and volcanoes. It explains the layer strata and most of all the fossils, and even the frozen mammoths, the so-called ice ages, and major land canyons, especially the Grand Canyon. The video shifted away from Dr. Brown and showed a spinning globe. It was almost completely covered with land, not looking anything like the way we recognize Earth today. One giant landmass filled almost the entirety of the globe. I was realizing, thankfully, that the brief speech Dr. Brown had just given was only an introduction, and he was about to explain in more detail how a cataclysmic global flood could explain mountains, fossils, canyons, oil deposits, and even ice ages. Brown continued speaking. The modeling of this theory shows that the pre-flood Earth probably only had one exceptionally large supercontinent, and it was covered with lush vegetation. There were seas and major rivers, but the mountains were smaller than what we see today, the tallest being only about 9,000 feet high. By comparison, Mount Everest is over 29,000 feet tall. Nuria paused the video and asked, Are you following this so far? I think so, I responded. This guy says that almost all of the geological anomalies we see today can be explained by a global flood. Is he talking about what I think he's talking about? Is he... Don't laugh when I say this. Is he talking about Noah's flood? Nuria smiled and hit the play button again. Dr. Brown continued his explanation. 
According to the hydroplate theory, the pre-flood Earth had a lot of subterranean water. About half of what is now in our oceans was once deep underground. This water was contained in interconnected chambers, forming a spherical shell about half a mile thick, perhaps 10 miles below the Earth's surface. Nuria paused the video again and said, Do you like pepperoni pizza? It caught me off guard and I laughed and nodded, not knowing what that had to do with what we were watching. Man, I'm hungry. I wish I had some pepperoni pizza. She continued, think about pizza. Starting from the top down, you have the pepperoni, then the cheese, some tomato sauce, and the dough. Now, think of the earth like a pepperoni pizza. The pepperonis are the continents, and instead of being spread all over the pizza, they are all sitting together in a group in the center of the pie. The layer of cheese is the upper layer of the earth's mantle, and the pizza sauce is the layer of water that Dr. Brown is talking about. The pizza sauce layer is the most important part of the video. Listen to what he has to say about the water below the mantle. She pressed the play button again and Dr. Brown continued explaining hydroplate theory. Ten miles worth of heavy rock in the Earth's crust was pressing down on that layer of water. Then heat from the Earth's core continued to increase the temperature of the water layer. Both factors resulted in increasing pressure. Increasing pressure in the subterranean water stretched the crust, just like a balloon stretches when the pressure inside increases. The screen, which had been showing Dr. Brown, flipped back to a shot of a cross-section of the globe. There was a large blue section representing water that was being crushed by the weight of the Earth's crust pressing down on it. That water needed a place to escape. Dr. Brown continued, Failure in the crust began with a microscopic crack, which grew in both directions at about three miles per second. The crack followed the path of least resistance, encircled the globe in about two hours. As the crack raced around the globe, the overlying rock crust opened up like a rip in a tightly stretched cloth. The subterranean water was under extreme pressure because of the weight of 10 miles of rock weighing down on it. So the water exploded violently out of the rupture. All along this globe encircling rupture, fountains of water jetted supersonically almost 20 miles into the atmosphere. I looked at Nuria. She paused the video and I said, I think I followed it, but give me the pizza version of what he just said. Laughing, she said, the pepperoni and the cheese layer were pressing down on the tomato sauce layer. As heat caused the pizza dough to swell, the pressure on the tomato sauce increased. Suddenly, a crack formed in the cheese layer and the tomato sauce exploded out, forming a crack across the entire diameter of the pizza. Tomato sauce sprayed up, covering everything, even the inside of the oven. Did that make more sense? Yep, I'm with you. And I wish I had a slice of pizza to eat while we were watching this. I'm famished. Smiling, she again clicked the mouse to play, and Dr. Brown continued. The spray from this enormous fountain produced torrential rains, such as the earth had never experienced before or after. The Bible states that all the fountains of the great deep burst open on one day, and it describes these events that occurred about 5,000 years ago. We can now tie it all together scientifically.
I said, tomato spray covered all the pepperonis and all the cheese, right? Yes, Daria responded. Now, here comes the effects of having all that tomato sauce spraying everywhere. In the real world, water was being expelled from underneath the Earth's surface at a super high velocity. Listen to what Dr. Brown says the consequences were. Don't worry, I'll give you another pizza lesson after this part too if you need it. I heard her click the mouse again. The now familiar voice of Dr. Brown began again. Some of the water was jetted high above the cold stratosphere, freezing into supercooled ice crystals that produced some massive ice dumps, burying, suffocating, and instantly freezing many animals, including the frozen mammoths of Siberia and Alaska. The screen again changed and showed water being sprayed high into the atmosphere, being supercooled and dumped in different places, instantly freezing the animals it engulfed. The image on the screen then changed as Dr. Brown continued talking. The new image showed a large crack in the crust and water spraying out of it. The high-pressure water jetting out eroded the rock on both sides of the crack and produced huge volumes of sediment. These sediments trapped and buried plants and animals very quickly, forming the fossil record. The fossil record supports rapid formation as the plants and animals show no decomposition. Now, this erosion caused by the water jets widened the crack in the Earth's crust. Eventually, the width of the crack was so great that the compressed rock beneath the subterranean chamber sprung upward, giving birth to the mid-oceanic ridge that wraps around the Earth like the seam of a baseball. The continental plate slid downhill away from the rising mid-Atlantic ridge and gained speed. Where the plates met resistances, they warped and crumbled giving rise to very tall mountains, where they buckled upwards, and in other places, deep trenches where the plates buckled downwards. This is why the major mountain chains are generally parallel to the oceanic ridges from which they slid. All major mountains we see today were formed in a matter of hours. Let me get this straight, I said as Nuria paused the video. The tomato sauce sprayed up, violently covering all of the cheese and the pepperoni. In some places, it totally engulfed animals, burying them and or freezing them where they stood. That's where we get fossils. Does he think that's when the dinosaurs went extinct? During the flood or, or just prior to it? Wait, don't answer that yet. Let me get the rest of this out and then you can answer me and correct anything I have wrong. Fossils were formed by rapid tomato sauce burying the animals. The whole time the tomato sauce was spraying out through the crack, it was spreading the cheese layers out, which gave the dough a place to rise up as well. That's the ocean ridges that he's talking about, right? When, when the spray, the crack, and the ridges formed, it shifted the pepperonis away from their comfortable resting place together in the center of the pie. Some of them floated on the cheese away from the dough ridge, and some of them were smashed together, making many mountains and valleys. That's our continents. Is that right? Nuria was nodding. Okay, I can see it now. That's a pretty good explanation of what originally caused the plates to shift. I mean, if it's true and if it is... My thoughts trailed off and then... Wait. I understand this and it makes surprisingly logical sense. Why don't they teach this stuff in school? Why isn't his theory more well known? I mean, from the look of this video, Dr. Brown has been talking about it since the 90s. Nuria was smiling, 
enjoying the fact I had embraced and expanded on her pizza metaphor. That's right, she said. They don't teach this in school, in part because if they taught a global flood is the cause for plate tectonics, ice ages, fossils, and all that other stuff, they would have to admit the Bible is true. It would have lasting effects on science, including Darwin's theory. The scientific community doesn't want this to be true. I didn't see what one had to do with the other. How does Dr. Brown's theory have anything to do with Darwin's theory? He's the evolution guy, right? Neria nodded and continued, If a sudden flood caused all of this, and caused it very quickly, then all of those other effects, the fossils, ice ages, the mountains, the valleys, the large oceans, if they happened or were created immediately, then it couldn't have been done over millions of years. Darwin's theory of evolution is predicated on the theory of small, subtle changes that occur over time. She heavily emphasized the words over time and continued, like a long time. In his theory, millions and millions of years are required for single-cell organisms to appear, and then more millions are required for those organisms to involve... Like a long time. In his theory, millions and millions of years are required for single-cell organisms to appear, and then more millions are required for those organisms to evolve into bacteria. We need more millions for the bacteria to evolve into an animal, and even more millions of years before you get man evolving from a monkey, and on and on and on, until you need billions of years. If Dr. Brown's flood theory is true... Darwin's theory of evolution falls apart because there's simply not enough years. You can see why the heavily atheistic-prone scientific community has been so averse to Dr. Brown's theory, can't you? You know, I said, I have a minor in chemistry. Now, it's been a long time, but one thing that I do remember is one of my professors had a mantra that he repeated over and over each time we went to the lab. He said, if an idea is not testable, repeatable, observable, and falsifiable, it is not considered scientific. And that's always stuck with me. I guess that means none of these theories are scientific, though, right? Because Darwin's theory of evolution, the, the theory of the Big Bang, and now I guess Dr. Brown's flood theory or hydroplate theory or whatever he calls it, aren't observable, repeatable, or testable. You can't observe or duplicate any of these theories. You can't test them. I don't think the this-just-makes-more-sense argument will work to get the textbooks changed, either. I can see why she's in love with you, Neria said. Look, Matt, you left one out. If a theory is falsifiable, then it's not scientific. The flip side to that is, if it's not falsifiable, it is scientific, right? Who's in love with me? What are you talking about? I stuttered. Yep, she said you were pretty clueless about that, too. Evolution and the Big Bang aren't repeatable, observable, or testable, right? Can we prove them? Not really. Until we have some evidence that proves them or disproves them, they are just theories. People give way too much credit when something is just a theory. Theories are just ideas, not facts or laws. But what if we could prove Dr. Brown's flood theory? Wouldn't that invalidate the competing theories? Wouldn't that disprove them? We sat there in silence as I tried to wrap my head around the ramifications of what Nuria had just asked me. Can, can you prove, wait, 
Can you prove Dr. Brown's theory? Have you then disproved Darwin's theory of evolution and the Big Bang theory? Neria shook her head at me. Not me. Your friend, Dr. Jessica Adams, did. That's what the Genesis Project is all about. End of chapter 9. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase 5 Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released, and if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.